whole thing boils down to is whether we we like it or not, God calls us <coughs> to live a life of faith. Faith. Faith is the substance, Hebrews 11.1. 1, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let's go back at Romans 4, verses 4 through 8. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but rather as an obligation. If we could earn this, then God is obligated to forgive us. Nope. Jesus paid the price. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it's that, uh, that uh, it's by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should. God doesn't owe us squat. Irritates me when I listen to some preachers that talk about this idea that if you do something, God will do something. Kind of makes God obligated, doesn't it? God doesn't owe us anything. God gave us everything, though. He said, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So how does all this work? How is it all possible? We just sang the song. That's why we call it Amazing Grace. Now I'm going to take us into the Old Testament, Zechariah. Laura, you have that. Zechariah chapter 3, and I'm going to look at the picture that we have in and of ourselves in this life. There's a, this is a, a metaphorical uh, uh, picture that's laid out here, but it's a literal picture that is laid out as well. So Zechariah 3, 1 through 4, go ahead and read it up, Laura. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Okay, stop, stop for a second. Joshua, the guy that took the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses' right-hand man. Moses is dead. Joshua is now leading the army. Okay? And God... God shows the servant a picture of Joshua, shows Joshua and how the enemy is standing at his right side accusing him. Now, listen to me. There's something about the right side we have to understand. The Bible says that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God the Father. What the right hand signifies is a place of authority. Get this picture. A place of authority. Okay, Satan, in this picture in Zechariah, the Bible says he's standing at the right hand of Joshua. What's he trying to show Joshua? What do you think the devil's trying to show Joshua? I'm in control here. You don't have the ability to stand up against me. I'm the authority of your life. I want you to grab this because there's people that sit in this room tonight that you think you have no ability to stop doing bad things, to not mess up, 
You think, well, it's just, it's just my lot in life. I just, that's just what I do. I mess up. Look at somebody and say, he's going to preach to me tonight, isn't he? Satan tries to give you and I the idea that he has authority in our lives. But we're going to get into Revelation 12 in just a minute, and I'm going to show you where he was stripped of all authority. He still has power, but that power is deception. And that's what he's trying to do here in this picture in Zechariah. He's trying to show us or trying to deceive us into thinking that he somehow still has authority. But look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus does. Go ahead and start reading it again. Uh, start there in Zechariah 3.1. Okay. Is not this a brand? No, no, no. Start with verse oh, 1. from the beginning? Uh-huh. Okay. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to okay, resist Okay, stop him. again. <laughs> I forgot this part. What's he called Joshua? High priest. You know what he calls you and I? Kings and priests. Did you know you're a child of God? You're a king and a priest? I want you to get this. Joshua was the highest representation of God on earth at the time. Look at me. Look at me. Did you know that's the same way God looks at you? You're the highest representation of Christ on the earth at this time. Oh, I thought it was the Pope. I thought it was Billy Graham. I thought all of us are kings and priests. Highest representation. I want you to get this picture because this is what's happening with Joshua. Okay, who is Joshua standing before? He's standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay? Most people believe that this is referring to Jesus. Okay? And so, he's standing before the angel of the Lord... Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. His right side to accuse him. And look who starts to speak. Is Joshua saying a word? Listen to me. you got to get this. Satan's accusing you. He's telling stories about you. He's telling the Lord about you. And what is Joshua sitting there doing? He's keeping his mouth shut. He has no defense in himself. We're guilty. I did a whole series a few weeks ago. Being guilty yet living guilt-free. Okay? In life, we're guilty. But through by, by grace, through faith, we are set free. Joshua knew. He had no defense. He sits there, and what's the next line, Laura, in that passage? And the Lord said unto Satan. Who's talking to Satan? The Lord himself. The Lord himself is taking up your defense. You know what the Bible calls Jesus? Our advocate. You go to any court, you want to have the best defense attorney. You want to have the best advocate on your side. How many think going to court against sin to have Jesus there with you is a pretty good deal? See, this is the picture. Satan's trying to deceive. He's trying to destroy. That's his ultimate goal. 
He's trying to convince. He's trying to deceive Joshua. And I can picture, I can picture Joshua standing there, the, uh, the uh, prosecutor standing next to him. Joshua's... What a, all of a sudden, the devil gives his bit, and Jesus just glances at Josh. That's probably him calling right now. <laughs> the Lord just glances at Josh. And you know what his eyes tell Josh? I got it. I got this. I, when you and I mess up and we go to Jesus, he says, guys, I got it. I got this. Okay? He glances and then it says, I'm going to take this from you, Laura. Sorry. I just want, I'm spending too much time in it, and if I don't, I'm going to lose all the rest of the day. Okay? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Remember that little bitty chapter right before Revelation called the book of Jude? One, 20 verses. The whole book of Jude is one chapter. We find this picture of Michael the archangel battling Satan. Think about it. You know what he's battling Satan about? Where Moses is buried. Why did that matter? You talk about Islamic problems now. If they knew where Moses was buried, we'd have major problems. God said, no, I took care of that. I buried him myself. He's arguing, but listen to Michael. And you can look at it, Jude. I don't have it in your notes there, but you can look at it. Jude, uh, you say, what verse, Pastor? It's only one chapter, folks. Okay, it's right there. In Jude, Michael and Satan are battling... And you know what Michael says? The Lord rebuke you. Can I tell you something? When you and I deal with stuff and we give it to Jesus and we let it go and we say, God, this is yours, I'm yours, the Lord rebuke you, devil, guess what? It's all done. It is settled. And victory comes. Okay, look what he says here. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. And look what he says. This man is a burning stick that is snatched from the fire. Joshua, now here's the picture. Joshua was standing there dressed in filthy garments. That represents a, 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 it represents sin, but it, it represents a compromising with the world. It's the, same, it's the same picture that we find in Revelation 16, where the martyrs that were, that were found under the, under the altar, that had lost their head for the gospel. It is a picture of the compromising Christians of the world. Many, many Christian scholars believe that in Revelation chapter 3, when he's talking to the Laodicean church, I told you we were going to get to the end times. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 is talking to the Laodicean church. And he said, I wish that you were hot or cold because you're lukewarm. Because you're compromising with the world. He didn't say you're not saved. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get some of your theology here. He said, you're lukewarm. 
And then many scholars believe, he says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. This is where I'm going to toy with some of your theology. A lot of scholars believe that that means he's going to spit him into the tribulation. Instead of taking him home, because they've had one foot in him and one foot in the world. And Jesus said, you can't be for me or against me. He's going to take them right into the tribulation. Or allow, not take them. He's going to allow them into the tribulation. And that's where we find the martyrs of, of Revelation 16. Okay, the Bible says that they had stained garments, but because they were martyred for the gospel, now they have white garments. Here's the picture that we see of Joshua. Look at this. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those standing, Take off his filthy clothes. I have taken away your sins, and I'm now putting white garments on you. It's God's deal, not yours. We mess up, we fall short of the glory of God. But now I'm going to take you into Isaiah 64. Who has that? Isaiah 64, who has that? Who does? Okay. Isaiah 64... The reason I'm doing this tonight, the reason I'm doing this tonight is to understand that every one of us, from the greatest to the least, have mistakes, make mistakes, but that God from the foundation of the world has brought freedom through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. Okay. Isaiah 64, 4 through 9, go ahead and read that. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who, wa who waits for him. Okay, stop there. Who has 1 Corinthians 2.9? Okay, go ahead and, and where's the other microphone at? Up here in the front, Paul. You stay over there. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. But get over here, okay. Paul, because we got more stuff. Okay? He just read, he said that no eye has seen or God, uh, the God besides you are acts on behalf of those who wait for him, or no ear is heard, nor eye is seen. Look what it says. That's the Old Testament. Now we're going to go to the New Testament, and it says what? However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Where did that come from? Isaiah 64. Okay? It's being quoted to help us understand... God took care of your righteous life from the very beginning. He gave you victory from the very beginning. Okay? So no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The, the things that God has for those who wait for Him. Continue on, uh, Ed. You should be in verse 5, I think. You meet Him who rejoices and does righteousness, who... Who remembers you in your ways? You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. And in these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are like an unclean thing, and all, your, all our unrighteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. And all we 
and all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people. Romans 3, 10, 11. Who has that? Romans 3, 10, and 11. Right here, Sarah. As the scriptures say, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. What's it saying? It's representing Isaiah 64. No one's seeking after God. And then it goes on, and it tells us there in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness, our righteous acts are as filthy rags because we're living in our own human condition. And the Bible goes on to say there in Isaiah 64, God, you've hidden your face from us because we sin over and over and over. But then they come to realize, God, you're our father. You're the potter. We're the clay. Mold me and shape me. This is what I pray. Think, think about the picture here. God is, is the great potter. Okay? I'm going to put little Miss Heather on the potter wheel. You don't have to move. You're metaphorically on the potter's wheel. God's building Heather. He's shaping. He's taking a big old lump of clay. Blech, right there. And he's shaping. And he's thinking, oh, this, this is the plan I have for this vessel. And all of a sudden, he shapes her up. And, and Heather starts living for God. And Heather starts going down the wrong path. And God's looking at the vessel and says, oh, I can see how she went the wrong way. And he reaches in and goes, and grabs a lump of that clay off the wheel. And Heather says, ah, I am messed up. Man, that hurts. And God starts shaping her again. And she starts figuring out, God, this isn't what you wanted for my life. You wanted this other thing. And God says, yep, I'm getting her right in the place that I want her to be. And all of a sudden, Heather gets caught up in herself. And she's a little too glorious. And God says, okay, i got to fix this pot. And he starts crushing it down. He says, I discipline those I love. I chastise those that are living for me. And he starts molding and shaping her. And she realizes, it's not about me, it's about him. And all of a sudden, he gets the pot right where he wants it. Puts it out in the, in the firing box. And then her life starts getting, get, getting built up and glorified for God. And then all of a sudden, the weight of the world comes in. And she now has a crack in her pot. And God leaves it. You know why he leaves it? Because he wants her to always trust him. There's some of the issues that you and I deal with in our life. Am I making sense? I'm trying to, okay? There's some of the issues that you and I get in our lives. It's not because God put them there. It's because of choices. It's because of decisions. It's because of situations. Or it could just be because of life itself. And God allows it to stay there. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 9? Remember that? Three times he said, God, help me. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. By grace, through faith. So Heather deals with those imperfections in her life. 
because she knows God and my imperfections, you're perfect. And you're using me just like I am. Does that make sense at all? See, this is what the this is what Isaiah is talking about here. He's saying, guys, in and of yourself, your righteousness, everything you're doing, you're just going around the mountain. It's just like filthy rags. Let's go back to Joshua in Zechariah 3. I'm trying to get a lot out of this, so I really hope I'm making sense because when I was putting this together, this made lots of sense to me. Okay? Joshua standing before the Lord in filthy clothes. Joshua's having a tough time between God and the world. I mean, we find times while Joshua's following Moses that Moses having to correct him, having to instruct him, having to help him, having to discipline him. And now Joshua's in a place where he's saying, God, you know, what do I do? And he's got all the pressures of the world pulling on him, all the pressures of the people, and he's trying to figure out, who do I please? This is why he's standing there in filthy clothes. But this is what the Lord is saying. The devil is accusing and condemning you, but I'm going to justify and redeem you. And what did he do? He took the filthy garments away because Joshua said, Okay, God, i got to trust you. Remember Joshua, and you can read it later. Read the first chapter of the book of Joshua. And read how many times God tells Joshua two words. Be strong and very courageous. Because you're going to go through a lot. You're going to go through a lot. I know so many Christians that give up on God because they go through stuff. Get used to it. We're going to go through stuff. But God tells us that when you're going through it, just be strong. Be courageous. Stand in me. Trust in me with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Proverbs 3. But acknowledge me in everything. He said, Joshua, I'm taking your filthy garments away and I'm giving you new Romans. His, he takes the filthy rags and puts on robes of righteousness. Revelation chapter 12. Who did I give that to? Revelation 12. Did I give it to somebody? Nope. Okay, who wants, who wants to read Revelation 12? I need a good, strong, I, I need a, a different voice. Okay, good, strong voice over here. Uh, 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 um, uh, 12.7. Um, snapper. That's right. I was just trying to remember your name. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have somebody else read it, though, Snapper, okay? I'm going to have somebody else read it. I want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to it. Revelation 12. Okay? Bill, you have it? Okay. Where's the microphone? Let's start with verse 7. Okay? Before he reads this, I'm going to give you a picture. Snapper, I want you to listen to this, okay? Here's the picture, okay? Revelation is a past, present, future chapter or book. Revelation 12 very specifically takes you from the creation to the present of Calvary and then into the future of what is yet to come. It's talking about Petra. It's talking about where God's going to send the people after the tribulation period where they're going to run into this place. If you're going on the trip to Israel with us, some of you are going to Petra. 
You're going to go see this, this walled city that nobody can get into, that, uh, that a lot of Israel, the remnant, are going to be hiding in for God's protection, and God's going to protect them there. So Revelation chapter 12 talks about the past, talks about the present, talks about the future. We're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up right before Calvary in verse 7. Okay? Now, it's not going to sound like Calvary, but it's going to be the picture. We're talking about the woman and the child. Okay? And then we're going to talk about the children, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the seeds of the child. Okay? So we're going to read with Revelation uh, chapter 12, starting with verse 7. And I, I'll probably break you up along the way. Okay? But I want you to see the picture because this is the picture of you and I in the life we live and the victory that God has given us. And hopefully we'll get further than that tonight. So go ahead, Bill. Start with verse 7. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Okay, stop there. Remember I told you about Jude? Okay, this is what we're talking about. Michael and his angels warred against... Warred? Warred? Yes. Okay. Against the devil and his angels. Okay, there was a great battle in heaven. And how did Michael deal with the devil and his angels? Did he try to say, hey, I'm all that in a bag of chips? Hey, I'm the main archangel of heaven, devil? What did he say? What did he say? The Lord rebuke you. Listen to me. Joshua, the high priest, you and I are kings and priests. When we go through struggles and we mess up, is it going to do anything? Well, but God, you understand my heart. But God, but God, but God, but God. Are we going to sit back and say, God, forgive me. Devil, the Lord rebuke you. Well, pastor, I can't think of saying that. You don't have to. But immediately when you go to Jesus and you say, forgive me, you know what he becomes? Your advocate. And he says, devil, shut up. I got this one. I got this one. Am I making sense tonight? Somebody say yes. Good. Okay. A great war broke out in heaven. Go ahead, Bill. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. He and who? His angels. Okay. Most of the original translations, uh, I don't, what version are you reading out of? New Living. The New Living? The original translation says a third of heaven fell with him. Okay? When it's talking about that, the dragon put his tail and he swept a third of the stars with him. He's talking about the angels that fell with Satan. Okay? Who are now demons. Okay? The fallen angels are the demons. They're not mystical things out there. They're real entities. Okay? So they fell with him. Okay? Now, uh... Where was I going with this? The train will come back around. Go ahead, Bill. Excuse me. Verse 9. This great dragon, ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Okay. Now, I want to take you back. This battle happened. Remember I told you from the foundation of the world? We went from the foundation of the world. The war happened long before Calvary, folks. Long before Calvary, he was cast down to the earth. Where do you think we're at now? Earth. Where are we at? Heaven on the earth. earth. But we're at in the earth. 
into the garden. That's where Satan shows up next. He was cast down from the earth. Once again, this little sidestep for you. This is why in the, in the end, a lot of people ask me, Pastor, why, are they, why is God creating a new heaven and a new earth? What's wrong with the, the earth? Well, look at the earth. You can tell what's wrong with it. It's just corrupt. Okay? Why heaven? What, sweetie? That's where sin began. The Bible says that pride was found in Satan. This is where he got lifted up. And we find the, the, four eye, or the, the uh, five eyes of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, where he says, I'm going to lift myself up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And God said, really? You think so? And a great war broke out. But think about it. He deceived a third of the angels. They're right with God. They were right there with God. Yeah, they weren't right with God. They were right there with God. Okay, there, in there. Okay. He deceived them. Okay? Think about it. They're in God's presence and He still deceived them. What chance do you guys, do you guys and I have? What, what, what chance do we have? Jesus. That's why we can't, that's why we can't stand up and defend ourselves. Okay? Cast lightning fall from heaven, the book of Luke says. So continue on there. A third of the angels fell. Satan was cast out of heaven. Now we're going from creation to, to the Garden of Eden. Now continue on, Bill. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them. Okay, so stop Before there. Now we go past the garden and we go into the faith that's first established in Noah and then in Abraham. Once again, faith didn't begin at Calvary. Faith didn't begin in the New Testament. Faith began in the Old Testament. The accuser of the brethren who's been lying, who's been deceiving, who's been cheating and stealing and, and doing all kinds of corruption is cast down. And now salvation is come. Because people realize, I have to go directly to God. I have to trust in Him. I have to believe in Him to have the ability to overcome the enemy. Am I making sense? Okay, continue on in Revelation. Verse 11. And they have defeated Him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Okay, so what have we done? Now we've gone all the way from creation, all the way from the garden, all the way from the law and Abraham, and all the way to... Calvary. Okay? We overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Okay? So now what's happened is Jesus has been crucified. The blood of Jesus has been shed. The innocent blood, once again, the propitiation that expiated the responsibility that we have. Okay? And I'm not going to get into that again. Okay? So now we're at Calvary. He's overcome the blood of, by the blood of the Lamb. And what is the word of our testimony? What? Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace, through faith. What is the word of our testimony?
Okay? What is the word of our testimony? God said it? What about this part? Not so much. God said it? That settles it. This is the struggle. God, did you do that for me? Jesus has to be our advocate. And the only way He can become our advocate is it has to get beyond us. It can no longer be about what I've done or I haven't done. It has to be about what He did and still does. He ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Do you know why? We get filthy clothes a lot. We get filthy clothes. We overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. God said it. That settles it. Devil, the Lord rebukes you. I don't rebuke you. I can't sin against you. Jesus is my belief. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my advocate. Jesus is what gets me beyond myself. This is why I can believe. It's because of what Jesus has done. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? Yes. Pastor Ray, am I making sense? I hope so. My mind is just exploding in fireworks. This is so good. But, okay. This, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What is the blood of the Lamb? From the foundation of the world, Jesus was crucified. God said it was going to be done. It was done. He was crucified. And that's all it took. Because he lived. Oh. Jesus is our advocate okay god said it from the foundation of the world revelation 12 if you go back all the way to the first verse of revelation chapter 12 it talks about the woman it talks about the birth of the child it talks about how the enemy immediately tried to destroy the child and we take it right into uh rahab and rebecca and the uh the the crying voices of uh, uh during the time of uh during the time of uh Oh, who was the king when Jesus was born? What was his name? Herod. Thank you. And Herod sent, the, sent uh, his soldiers out to kill every child under three years old. Okay? And the reason he killed every child under three years old because it was three years since the wise men showed up. Okay? I'm giving you all that. You say, Pastor, what's all of this have to do with the book of Romans? It all has to do because it's only by grace through faith. And we have to always stand there in that reality. Does that make sense? Okay? You have to live a life of faith or you're doomed to failure. You have to live a life of faith, of trust, of belief. Well, it just doesn't make sense. God said it. That settles it. See, that's what faith is. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Oh, pastor, there's got to be more to it. He's going to seal it right now. Here's what faith 
does in your life. Here's what faith, trust, and belief does in my life. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It all became about God. It all became about Christ. It all became about what Jesus did at Calvary. And what's the last part of that verse say, Bill? And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They said, it's not about me. I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. How many did their homework last week? Remember what it was? Remember what it was? If you take and Galatians 2.20 becomes the revelation of your life, you'll never have an issue with falling again. That sounds pretty hard. I'm not saying you won't make a mistake. I'm not saying you won't mess up. But immediately you will look up. Steve. Uh-huh. No, that was John. John the Apostle. I'm sorry? No, John was the Revelator. Okay? You read the book of Revelations. It says, the book is called, and this is where a lot of people get confused. What is the first line of the book of Revelation? The revelation of Jesus Christ given to John on the island of Patmos. Okay? So it wasn't, it wasn't John's, it was the revelation of Jesus. The revealing of Jesus, then, now, to come. Okay? Given to John. That's why there's an old song, Steve, you remember that song, John the Revelator. Okay? A great song, Phil, uh, Phil Keggy did it. Uh, just a great song. But look at the thing. Here was the key. Here was the key. Here was the key. I got no place to write it. Okay? God said it. Okay? That settles it. Okay? The belief part, they stood in faith. They stood in faith. I just believe because God said it. I trust it. I put my life in it. I'm done. My life. (laughs) They loved not their lives. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about their success. It wasn't about their triumph. It wasn't about, it was about Jesus. You want to see the picture? Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. I still got a problem with my flesh. This is what Paul's saying. Very simple. I'm crucified, but I'm still alive. But then the victory Paul had was three words. Yet, not I. Okay, what is the yet not I? The yet not I goes all the way over there. I love not my life. It's not about me. Okay, yet not I, but the life that I now live in this flesh. I live according to the Son of God. I love me and gave himself for me. How do I know that? God said it. That settles it. That's the victory that you and I have. 
That's why I want to take you to Revelation. Now, just quickly, because we're out of time, I'm going to read Romans 4, 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. I took you a long way tonight, and I took you a long path to help us to get right back to where I left you last week. Okay? If God's Word says you're victorious in Christ... What kind of life should you live? A victorious life. In Christ, okay? If God said that you have overcome the enemy, when the enemy shows up at your door trying to drag you down, what do you do? If somebody's knocking on the door and you open the little peephole, how many remember the old peepholes? You look out, anybody got peephole on the door? If somebody's knocking on your door... And you look out the peephole and you say, well, it's, it's the devil. What do you do? You turn around and say, hold on a second. Jesus, somebody's at the door looking for you. Why? Because he is my advocate. He is my victory. He is my present help in time of trouble. He is the rock of my salvation. He is my overcoming fortress. He is the one that I run into and I'm as safe. He is the one that when the storms are blowing all around me, that I can say, okay, the outlook's bad, but the uplook's still good. Am I making sense? We've got to come to this place. It's not by works of righteousness. Titus chapter 3, Titus 3, 5. It's not by works of righteousness that I have done. It's according to His mercy. You got mercy. That's right. Because everything we have is filthy rags. Filthy. Oh, there's an H in there. Am I making sense? Okay. We will never be good enough. We will never do good enough. That's why God calls us human beings and not human doings. In Christ... We done be good. But sometimes we don't do good. I know it's not great English, but it's good preaching. How many have followed everything I said tonight? Paul, in your notes, real quick, I don't want to leave you hanging. And then we'll start in number three next week. I was going to try to end tonight, but I'm not going to. Paul is telling us if the great patriarch Abraham needed faith for salvation, so did Mother Teresa, so did Billy Graham, and so do each one of us. It doesn't make a difference. God said there's only one way. And I'll read it to you in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Amen? Praise the Lord. How, did this make sense tonight? I, I pray it did. I pray you get the tape, you listen to it. Take your notes and study them. Uh, read Revelation 12. Uh, next week we'll end up uh, verses 4 and 5, and then we'll get into chapter 6. And we're going to spend a lot of time just in the one 
a simple chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 6, because it is so pertinent. It is so pertinent to uh, where we are currently in our lives, okay, that uh, about grace, about this whole thing. I, I made a statement earlier, and I didn't finish the statement, so I want to do this uh, as we, uh, just before we leave tonight. There's too many people preaching a partial gospel. They're preaching the part that God wants to do this, God wants to do this, God wants to do this, God wants to do this. But they leave out the responsibility part that we have. Okay, not the works part, but the responsibility of living for Him. Okay, if you're not living for Him, guess what? I, 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 I was telling Jewel, I was seeing, I'm starting to see things on Facebook. Uh, John Hagee and some other, uh, some other preachers out there, they're starting to make a statement that the book of Luke makes. And I'm, I'm, I've been preaching it for years. When the rapture happens, if you're not looking for him, he's not coming for you. What does that mean? How do I know if I'm looking for him? You're living for him. You're living. He's not, he's not coming for you just because you come to Victorious Life. He's not coming for you just because you have a Christian fish on your car. Or because you wear a cross. Why is he coming for us? Because we're looking for him. We're looking for him. Okay? It's all about living for him, folks. It's all about living for him. Amen? Any questions before we dismiss? Good to see you, Kelly. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. God, your grace is so wonderful. And it truly is where we live and that is sufficient to help us be victorious every single day.